when I was in seminary, my, uh, the president of the seminary made this statement, and the statement was simply this, that he believed that mature believers, okay, mature believers, spent an enormous amount of time in the Psalms. Now, I know when he said that, I was kind of like, well, I don't know exactly what that means, you know, because I'm like, shouldn't everybody spend some time in the Psalms? Or, you know, what, what, what's he trying to get at? What, what, what's his point? And, and to be honest with you, I think in the beginning, I didn't really understand what he was saying. I think it was actually not till much later in my life that I actually understood what he meant when he said that. Now, I don't know where you are in your journey. I mean, you could be you, a non-believer. You could be just starting your, 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 your ascent. You, you could be in the middle. You could be, you know, way long, all the way down on this road. You know, I don't know. But, but, but I just thought it was interesting that he said mature believers. And I, like, again, I think the Psalms are great for a lot of things. But, but, but as I began to process exactly what he was saying, it, it started to make a lot of sense to me. And that is when you read the Psalms... What you discover is, is they're full of, of an expression of what it means to be human. You know, the challenges we face, the frustrations we have, the difficulties, you know. And they say a lot about us, but they also say a lot about God in the middle of all that stuff that, all that, stuff that it means to be human. And, and the thing that I finally came to that I, I think I started to understand what he was saying is that if you ever want to be more like Jesus, okay, which is a fancy word, in the, and this is the fancy word, and that is to be sanctified. Isn't that, isn't that a fancy word? Sanctified. That's, you have to say it with a little swag on it, you know, sanctified. It, it, it has this kind of word. But all that word means is to be more like Jesus, to become more like Jesus. And I think the thing I figured out is the reason he said that, the reason it, mature believers spend time there, is that I think what the Psalms do at a certain point in our life is they start allowing God, when we put ourselves in there and we read them, it allows God to speak to those places that we don't always show people. Like, you know what I'm getting at? Like, we come to church, and we're like, hey, everybody, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm good. Everything's great. That's great. Great. Yeah, you know? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just kind of put on the front, and we all have masks that we wear, and, and so we put on these masks, and the thing that I figured out, though, about the Psalms is, is when I read them, it's like God is able to get to those places. He's able to get to those places in my heart that I don't share with everybody. Those places that I have under lock and key. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want anybody touching those. I don't want anybody talking about those things. I don't want anybody to know what's really going on. And I've figured out that the Psalms really start to get at those things. And, 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 and they, they allow God to go to those places. And the cool thing is, is that that's exactly what God has to do in order to make us more like Jesus. Like, you're not going to be transformed into the image of Jesus if you have a bunch of locked doors in your heart. Like, you're like, nope, mm -mm, God, we're not going there. Like, that doesn't work with God. Like, he, he might be patient with you. He might stand there and be like, okay, whenever you're ready, kid, we'll just be right here. And, and, and that's what I've figured out about the Psalms is they just read us, you know? They read us. And then all of a sudden, God starts to speak and says, hey, let's, let's, let's look at that one. And depending on your view of God, depending on how you see God, you might think that God's mean in that. Like he wants to point out these things. And the reality is, is he's not mean. He loves you. He loves you so much that he's not going to keep you where you are. Like he wants you to get better. He wants you to be more like Jesus. And that's his heart for all of us. But we've got to make ourselves uh, available to that if we really want to see that happen. So I think you can read the Psalms from any lens in your journey. But there is this interesting thing that when you really want to go deeper, when you really want God to start doing some work in your life, man, you pick up the book of Psalms and watch what he'll do. And so that happened to me, I guess it was last week, God, God, God does this to me sometimes, is where he, he zeroes me in on a particular passage of scripture. And uh, I, I normally read the Bible you know, all the time, you know, whatever, but sometimes, rather than just reading through the Bible, he, he stops me 
And I just kind of have to stop and chew on whatever it is in front of me, if that makes sense. And this is kind of what happened with this psalm that I'm about to share with you in Psalm 24. It was like God just stopped me. And he said, hey, you need to look at this. Just stare at it. Read it over and over and over again. Chew on it, right? That's what the Bible says. To meditate on the word of God means to chew on it, right? It's like a, cha- it actually has this literal sense of a cow chewing on cud. Isn't that, isn't that kind of gross? You ever seen a cow chew? Ugh, it's gross. Big tongue. Ugh. So some of you picture me chewing now. It's creeping everybody out. But it really does. It has this, I'm chewing on it. I'm thinking on it. I'm, I'm praying about it. God, what are you saying to me in that? And, and here's the thing. This is, this is really cool. This question just was burned into my brain as I was reading it. And this is, again, Psalm 24. But I want to start here in verse 3 because here's where the question is. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? That's the question. Who may stand in his holy place? That's a great question. I was thinking to myself, what's God trying to say? I mean, where are we going? You know, and I I think that's what was kind of neat is that there's a directionality to the question. He's saying that there's some, you're, you're moving in some direction. And what I love about that is that elevation was founded on the idea of us going higher. Okay, of ascending, of elevating, if you will. That there's this idea in the scripture that, that we're moving purposefully towards God. And in the Bible, a lot of times when you're moving towards God, it's an elevated movement. Get that. And part of that is because in the Old Testament, when they would describe Jerusalem, Jerusalem stood at a higher elevation. And so when the pilgrims would come, when the Jews would come to to worship God in the temple, they would literally have to go up the mountain to get there. And so in the Bible, you see a lot of that kind of language. And so that's, that's what's being asked here is who can do that? Who can go up the mountain? Who can stand in God's temple? Who can stand in God's presence? And you see this powerful image of what it looks like to follow God. Because what I think is that following God is absolutely an obedience in the same direction, but it's also an elevated progression. Now, sometimes we have hard days, you know, and we talk about them as valleys and difficulty, you know, those kinds of things. But ultimately, if you're just stepping back for just a little bit, the goal is that we're always moving forward. We're always becoming more like Jesus. Now, sometimes we got to sit down and take a nap, and God's okay with that. But the reality is, is he's like, get back up. It's time to ascend. And so he has this question. He's like, who can do it? Who can ascend the hill of God? Who can stand in his holy presence? I think that's just a powerful question for all of us to kind of think about. Now, in the backdrop of this song, if you go back into the Old Testament, into, into First Chronicles, First Chronicles 13, and if you read 13, 14, 15, and 16, if you just have some time this week, read that, and you'll discover there was a guy named King David, and I don't know if you know who King David was, but he was a major deal in Jerusalem. He was the second king and, and, uh, after Saul, and, and, and so he built a massive kingdom and all of those kinds of things, and I don't have time to go into all the things that David did, but, but, but what we find is, is that David had been warring, or kind of, really not even warring, he was kind of running. <laughs> Maybe that's a better way to say it. He, he was running in some ways from the king that existed at that time, and that, and that guy's name was Saul. Some people call him Psycho Saul, because <laughs> he was a little nutty, and he would throw things at David, and he would chase David, and, and he would try and bring armies against David, and David was just always kind of dodging him, you know, like, oh, you know, because he knew he shouldn't touch a man of God. He knew he shouldn't touch the king. He knew he shouldn't do that, but he knew that if he didn't run, he was going to get killed. And so he was, he, finally this had come to a head, and, and that had ended, and, and he was now back in Jerusalem. So the, remember, this is the backdrop. He's now back in Jerusalem, and he has this moment where he says, something's wrong. Like he's like, something's not right. Listen to this. This is in, in verse 3 and 4 of, of chapter 13 of First Chronicles. He says, it's time to bring the ark of our God back. For, for we neglected it during the reign of Saul. 
the whole assembly agreed to this, for the people could see that it was the right thing to do. Now, now what's he doing there? He's saying that we're in Jerusalem, this whole season has passed, and we don't have the ark of God here, which in essence means that we don't have the presence of God in Jerusalem. That's what he sees. He says, because the ark is not here, the, the presence of God is not here. In other words, the presence of God was not in the house. I think that's a good question. I think that's a good question for some of us to think about. Is God in our house? And that could mean in your heart, that could be in your relationships, that could mean in your physical house. But is God in our house? Is the presence of God in our house? And if it's not, then we've got a problem. God is wanting to be in our house. He wants to be in this house. He wants to be in your house. He wants to be in your heart and your family and your kids. He wants to permeate all of it because he knows that if that doesn't happen, you will not be able to ascend the hill of God. You're not going to get there because you need his presence. You need his power to be able to do that. That makes sense. And so we have to make sure we understand what's going on in the background. And I just have this beautiful picture of David finally realizing, wow, we've got to do something about this. And maybe that's your day. Maybe that's the day today for you. It's like you're like, oh, that's true. I don't have God in my house right now. I don't have God in my heart right now. I've, I've let that go. And, and, and now, now i got to do something about it. You see what I'm getting at? Because sometimes we just forget or sometimes we get lazy. We just don't, we just don't consider it. And, and it's been a long time. And, and I just want to say to you, today's your day. You can get God back in the house. There's some simple ways to do it, which I'm going to get to. And matter of fact, they're not nearly as complicated as they used to be in the Old Testament. They're pretty simple. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want to jump back to verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 24. So if you have your Bibles, look here in verse 1 and 2. It'll be on the screens. But, but I want to show you something because the psalmist starts here. He doesn't start with the question. Now, I skipped to the question, but he starts here. Look at what he says. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all who live in it. He has founded it on the seas and established it in the waters. What's he saying? He's saying that God created everything. God created everything. And what is he really getting at? He's saying that God is worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy, worthy of your money. He's worthy of your kids. He's worthy of all of it. He's worthy. That's what he's trying to get at. Because see, sometimes I think we forget that, 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 that sometimes I think even we treat God as kind of common. Jesus is my homeboy. And I understand why we do that, because we relate to Jesus. Because, I mean, the human side of Jesus, of course, that's why God did it. He wants us to be able to relate to Jesus on a human level. But I think sometimes we forget that God's not common. God is, God is spectacular. God created everything. And, 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 and sometimes I think if we, if we make God common, sometimes we think we're not too far off ourselves. Now, I know we would never say that. Like, none of us walk around going, I'm God. I just need you to know it. But sometimes we act like it. Sometimes we do, guys. I'm just sorry. You know, you know. I know. I know I'm, I'm messing in it. I know I'm mixing it up. I know that I've jumped in your nightmare. I get it. But we do. When we get this wrong, when we treat God as common, sometimes we forget that he's not common, that, that he really is a God uh, that is so much bigger and more amazing than we can even put into words, that he's not common at all. He's something that, that is beautiful and something that should be respected and honored. And I had a professor who used to say this. He said, the God that, that, the God that can squash you chooses to love you. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Some of you are like, no, I don't like that. But what it does is it puts it in perspective. He doesn't want to squash us because he loves us. But he can. That, that's important. Because, see, God made everything. That means he's perfect, not you. That means his standards are perfect, not yours. 
That means he's worthy of you giving your allegiance. And so often sometimes we forget that, who's God, who's not. And then what happens is when we forget the holiness side of God and the creation side of God and we forget his sovereignty and, and, and his providentiality and all the things, we forget what happens, what happens is we start to think that we're kind of like him and then we forget. And what we don't do is we end up not submitting to God. Because we're like, meh, I don't need to submit to God. And see, here's the thing. Submission is a dirty word in our culture. It just is, guys. I, I, people don't like this word. I like to pull it out all the time and watch everybody squirm. You know, like submit. You're like, oh, oh, I got to go. I got to find a new church. Submit. But here's the thing. I'm not God. You're not God. That means that that I am supposed to put myself under his authority because he's God, not me. So I am to submit to his authority in my life. So that means when he says do something, I'm supposed to say yes, right? So I submit myself to that. And here's the thing you got to see. Some of us are never going to be over something until we get under it. Because, see, we don't understand spiritual authority. We don't understand how God works. God is not interested in you just doing your thing. God is interested in you submitting your life to him. And sometimes what happens is that we are unwilling to submit ourselves to authorities and do the things that God wants us to do, even spiritual authorities in the church. Come on. I know, I know, I know, I know this is scary. You're like, but he's not good. He's not a good guy. He's mean. He's... I get it. I get it. I understand it, but I'm saying this. There is a rebellious heart in our spirit as human beings. And when we struggle with submission, it reveals something about us. And I'm not even saying the person you're saying you won't submit to is right. I'm just saying it reveals something about me if I'm unwilling to do it. Because, see, our horizontal experiences reflect a vertical reality. They mirror that, really. So how I treat people has a lot to do, it goes upward. It relates to God. I'll treat God in that way if I treat people that way. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a relationship there. All right, I'm getting way too thick. You guys okay? You with me? All right, I just want to make sure it's making sense. Because some of you are like, oh, geez, I don't want to hear about this submission stuff. No, I get it, but see... We've got to get this right because when we don't get it right, when we treat God as just kind of common, um, we, we forget this and we don't want to put ourselves under his authority. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. We wonder why God doesn't do what he said he's going to do. God, God does what he says he's going to do when we do what he tells us to do. That's important. You see that. Okay, I want to read this in, in Psalm, going back to verse 3, Psalm 24, verse 3 and 6 through 6. He says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can do it? Who can stand in his holy place? Then watch this. This is the answer. He gives us the answer. Here it is. He says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in idols or swear by false gods. So so the psalmist is saying that in order to ascend, I've got to have a clean hands, a pure heart, and not trust in idols. Those are the three things that the psalmist says. And I don't know about you, but if you were to look at your heart... (laughs) Maybe look at your hands, maybe look at your life as it relates to idolatry, even though I know a lot of us are like, I don't, I don't have any gold statues in my life. Oh, 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 hold on. There are other things that can become idolatrous in our lives. There are just other things that can. I mean, and so, so, so the point I'm trying to make is, when was the last time we checked those things? When was the last time we looked at those things, our hand, our heart, our speech? Those kinds of things. And so that's what I want to do for just a moment. Just, can, can we do that? Can we just take a, just a little bit of a test, all right? Not too much of a test, because I know that scares people, but just maybe like an introspective kind of thing. I want us to ask a few questions, because the Bible says if I'm going to go up, I've got to make sure I get this right. Because, see, ascending comes from tending. If I, don't, if I don't tend to the things God tells me to tend to, my ascension is going to be slowed down. Making sense? And so we've got to see that the ascension is really important, but if we don't tend to it, if we don't tend to our hands and our heart and our speech, then we're going to get slowed down. We're going to get slowed down. 
So our hands is action. So when he says clean hands, there's an action to this. In other words, what am I doing in my life? What actions am I doing that potentially are contrary to what God wants me to be doing? And you say, well, how do I know that? Read his word. He'll tell you. It's important. You've got to see this. That's why we do it. And so, so he says, check your actions. Here's, here's something. Here's the question. You ready for it? What am I holding on to right now with my hands that I can't let go of in order to embrace God who wants to help me? Does that make sense? So if you're grabbing on to something right now, what is it you're holding on to that keeps you from being able to hold on to God because you're grabbing hold of it? And so what's the action in your life that potentially is that? What's, what is that right now? What has become more important to you than anything else that you can't let go of it and grab a hold of God? Right? And now you're like, I don't do that. What are you talking about spiritual? How about our time? Just think about your time. What are you holding on? Where are you spending your time? What are you holding on to with your time that is not allowing you to grab hold of the presence of God? I hear this from people all the time, and I think it's just a bunch of hooey. Can we say hooey in church? I said, I did. I said it twice. <laughs> but think about this. People say to me all the time, Pastor, I don't have time. I don't have time to spend in the Word. I don't have time. Hooey. That's three times. Because again, guys, here, I'm going to say this and it's going to hurt a little bit. All right, just say, I'll receive this. We make time for those things that are most important to us. Whether you like that or not, it's true. Because the last time I checked, we all have the same 24 hours. Even the president of the United States or some world leader that their schedule is max to the max to the max. We all have the same amount of time. And the question is, is what are we doing with the time? Are we willing to take hold of it in and put it in God's hands? And allow him to do something. Guys, I, I, that'll help some of you this morning. That's really, that's really good preaching. Um, <laughs> clean hands. Pure heart. Pure heart. Because it's about our, because see what happens sometimes is that our feelings get, get a little off, don't they? We get maybe a little bitter, angry, hurt. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen in life. People are mean to each other. Guys, Christians are mean to each other. It's ridiculous. But my point is, is that that can happen. We have these feelings and these things that can grab hold of us. But I, I want to teach you something today about feelings. Is that feelings actually make a huge impact in your life, whether you know it or not. Now, feelings are important. They are indicators of what's really going on in our lives sometimes. They're, they're emotions and they, they indicate something. But the thing about feelings, and this is important, there's, a, there's stages to it. Feelings can turn into attitudes and attitudes can turn into behaviors. Here, I'll back that up for you. Feelings can turn into attitudes, and attitudes can turn into behaviors. Some of us have behaviors that came out of a feeling a while back. That feeling grabbed hold of us, and led to an attitude, so I was offended at Pastor Daniel. No, none of y'all would do that. I was offended, and then you got an attitude towards me, so you were like, you know, that Pastor Daniel. He told whatever you, whatever you th say about me. I, he, so you have this attitude towards me. Sometimes even when you walk in the church, you have a hard time looking me in the eye because you're so mad at me. It's attitude. But it turns to a behavior. And that behavior may be that you just ignored me in the house, you know. Or maybe you were talking to somebody in your small group. You're like, you know, that Pastor Daniel, I just don't agree. I don't agree with him. So now it's moved from ad feeling, attitude to behavior. Now you're gossiping about your leader. Now, okay, guys, I, I, this hadn't happened to me ever. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> ever, you know. But I'm using myself as an example. And what I mean is that happens in your life, in my life, in everybody's life, is if we don't grab hold of these feelings, they can turn into behaviors. And what will happen is we'll start walking down the mountain. We're not ascending anymore. We, we're on our way down. Like, we need the presence of God, and we're not going to make it without it, but we've decided to go down the mountain because we made agreements with our feelings. 
And that's not what God wants. And then it says, don't trust in idols or swear by false gods. In other words, tongue and speech, this, this speech. Here's, here, here. I said this, uh, I already talked about it a little bit, but the things that come out of our mouth, the things that we say about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you have people in this church you do not like. And I don't care. That's fine. You don't have to like them. I don't care. But you have to figure out how to love them the way that God wants you to love them. There are somebody, some of you are in small groups that you have people that you don't like in your small group. You don't like them. They talk too much. They smell. Whatever. <laughs> They're in your group. They're in your group right now. And God is saying to you, will you love the one you don't like? School's in. Because God wants to transform us. He's not just, he's just not concerned about your comfort. He's trying to help you. I'm telling you, everything you run up against that's a problem, there's a good chance God is teaching you a lesson. I'm just telling you, the best question you can ask yourself in those situations is, God, what are you trying to teach me about me? Not about that person. That's important. Guys, I, you all are getting special content. The, 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 the first service didn't get some of this. So I'm just telling you, y'all are getting some special content. But here's another thing that we do with our speech. We limit, we have limiting speech. In other words, we speak limitations over ourselves. I'm not this. I'll never be that. I'm never, you know what I'm talking about? And the devil just mixes that up and he keeps you in bondage from being able to ascend. And every one of you in this church, God has called you to ascend, to become greater. I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful thing that God wants for you. Now, my son and I have been playing this game. I don't particularly like video games, you know, all that much. But he likes video games, you know. And so we were playing this game. It's called, uh, yeah, it's called Empires and Puzzles. I don't know if you've ever played this game. It's, I'm not necessarily recommending it to you, but, but we play this game, and it's, it's, really a, it's actually a really fun game. It's highly addictive, I'm just telling you. I mean, it's like you want to play it all the time. You're like, you wake up in the morning, you're like, i got to play the game. i got to play the game, you know. And uh, so, it'll, so I'm not recommending it. But, but the game is such that when you're, when, you're, uh, when you're first starting, some of your players, you know, they're, they're just... Normal, average, weak players, you know, and you got to feed them. And so you got to give them food and build stuff and help them and, you know, and, and, and buy stuff for them and make them stronger. You know what I mean? And what happens is in the early stages, these guys grow like super fast. Like they're just, they're just ascending constantly. Literally, I mean, they, they really are. But what happens is later on in the game, it takes forever to ascend a player. I'm serious. And it's so much so that these, the, you know these gamers, they've probably figured this out, like it's some kind of psychological mind trick they're playing on us, you know? But like they've done it in such a way that they spread the seed out enough that you want to keep doing it, you know? And you're like, I've got to do it. I'm, I'm so close to ascending. I've got to keep going. And so you buy like more gems and gems cost money, of course. And it was a free game at one time. Now it costs money. And so you're in there and you're spending out money. And Caleb's like, can we do it, Dad? I'm like, yeah, yeah, $100. Let's do it. We're going to kill them all, right? It's like you just get into this place where you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it really is. <laughs> but here's the thing that I see is that sometimes in our, in our beginning stages with God, we grow so fast. You know, we do. We just ascend fast, and we're like running up that hill, you know? And then something happens. We get tired. We've been doing this a long time. And we slow down, and our ascension actually doesn't happen as fast. And there's a part of us that just wants to stop. We want to just sit down. It's like, God, you were really good at one time, but I'm just not real interested anymore. I don't see you as much as I thought I saw you. And, you know, I still love you, but I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm just going to be here. And I think that happens sometimes. It's almost like we just get fatigued. And I, and I just want to say to you, we can't climb the mountain without his presence. 
And what I've found is a lot of times the correlation that can be drawn in our lives is that if I, as I, as I continue to get ascend more, and let's say I would call myself a mature Christian, okay, we spend sometimes less time with God. Sometimes what we do is we serve more and we spend less time with God. Do you get what I'm saying there? It's like we serve a lot for God, but we never spend time with God making sure we're getting renewed in the presence of God so that our serve will continue to be strong. And it's important you see that because, because wherever you are today, God is trying to get you to see that you got to go up the hill. Go up the hill. Keep going. Get your, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes right on the face of God because he loves you. But also recognize that sometimes the reason we feel like we're walking through a swamp is because we've stopped spending time with him. And we're in these marshes of spirituality. And it's like, is marshes a word? Can you do that? Marsh? Marshes? Hey, it's all right. And it's, and it's that process of ascension that sometimes just, just wears us out. Let me read this to you. This is in Psalm 24, 5 and 6, as we continue through this psalm. Watch this. It says, They, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. What he's saying is that God of Jacob represents the people of God. And he's saying if you will seek his face, these things will be true of your life. As you ascend the hill of the Lord, he says if you will seek his face, if you'll seek his face, these things will come to pass in your life. Did you notice there were two promises there? One is the promise of blessing and the other the promise of vindication. Okay, and this is important. I mean, if I asked you, don't you want to be blessed? Everybody in the world would be like, yeah. I mean, it, I think it's kind of strange when people get mad at Christians for being like, I want to be blessed. It's like, why? Why are you upset about that? God wants you to be blessed. That's what he says. So th- the problem is, is that we only think about shiny things. You know what I mean? Like we only think blessings come in the form of monies and Rolls Royce. Rolls Royces. Or Lear Jets or something, you know. But my point is, is that, that God wants to bless you. The fact that you're in his presence is going to bless you. And he wants to do that. And that's what I love about this is that God absolutely guarantees if you will walk his way, continue to keep your face directed towards him, he will bless you. And he says, I will vindicate you. You got anybody coming at you? God says, I'll take care of it. I love that. There's this great part in the story. If you go back to David, there's this great part in the story where, where David, <laughs> he, he, they're bringing the ark, right? They're bringing the ark to the presence or to Jerusalem because they want the presence of God in Jerusalem, right? So they're bringing the ark. And what happens is there's a guy who is helping carry it and the ox, you know, starts to stumble. He's like, ah, and the ox starts to fall over and the ark starts to tilt and the dude sticks out his hand to steady the ark and he dies like I mean literally drops dead and 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 David's like which is what this was supposed to be a celebration right and the guy just drops dead and David gets so upset with God he gets angry with God and you know sometimes don't we misbehave in our anger yeah do what we do and so God David gets angry and he says you know what I don't know what's going on, but you take that ark somewhere else. So he actually sends the ark to a place called Obed-Edom. Say it with me. Obed-Edom. Isn't that a great name? Name your kid that. It would be awesome. Obed-Edom. So he takes it there, and the Bible says that when the ark came to Obed-Edom, for three months it was there, that that, that that house was blessed. Like there was all kinds of blessings going on in that house because the presence of God was there. You get that? And so that's what he's saying, is that wherever the presence of God is in your life, you're going to be blessed. You're going to experience the blessings of God in amazing ways. And I I personally, I need that in my life, and I suspect you do as well. We go on a little bit to verse 7 and 10 as we get closer to the end of this chapter. But I think you need to see this, all right? Look at this, starting in verse 7. And what I want you to do is I want you to picture in your mind's eye Okay, that you're actually ascending the hill 
to Jerusalem, whatever that looks like to you, you're, you're going up the hill to Jerusalem with a lot of other people. It's like a processional, okay? And you've got the Ark of the Covenant, and, and you're walking up this hill, and these are the words that are coming out of your mouth as you get closer to the gate. Okay, you got that? Got that in your head? And this is what it says. Open up, ancient gates. So it's like the people are saying, open up. Come on, we're almost there. Open up, ancient gates. Open up, ancient doors, and let the king of glory come in. Get that? So the ark is the, the representation of the king of glory. So let the king of glory enter. Who is this king of glory, he says? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord invincible in battle. You may be in a battle today, and God is saying, I am invincible in battle. You need to grab hold of me and let go of that thing. Because sometimes we grab hold of people in a battle quicker than we grab hold of God. He says, I'm invincible in battle. Then he says it again. Open up, ancient gates. Open up, ancient doors. Come on, let the king of glory enter. Here's a point you got to see. When the Bible repeats something, you should pay attention. He just said it twice. He wants you to see something. Open up, king of glory. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. King is mentioned five times there. It's powerful. It's a powerful scene as, you, as you're walking up to Jerusalem and you're yelling out like with all the people saying, open up. And it's like you're bringing in the presence of God. And this is what I see. This is what I see. They're trying to get the gates to open so that they could bring the presence of God into, our, into, the, into Jerusalem. And here's the thing. If I don't open up, I can't go up. If I don't open up, I can't go up. And some of us right now in our lives, when it comes to the gate, when it comes to the, the, the opening, it, it literally looks like that little, that little mouse hole in Tom and Jerry. You know what I'm talking about, some of you old people? Anybody remember Tom and Jerry? Come on. But some of you other kids are like, I don't know what you're talking about. But it had, like in the wall, you know, it's flat cartooning, but it had a little, little opening, just a little opening. And little, little Tom, right? Or Jerry? Jerry. Jerry would walk through that thing, right? He'd, he'd go in and out, and, and he'd go into the wall, you know, and do what rodents do. But here's the thing. That's what some of our holes look like. Our openings, that's what it looks like. That's as much as we're letting God in. That's as it. That's it. That's all we're letting in. And, and like I said, you have all of God that you want. But let me, let me say that again. You have all of God that you want. He's not holding from you. He's not keeping things from you. He wants you to have the full bore. He wants to give it all to you. Like a tidal wave of God, he wants to give you. But he's asking you to open up. Get me a bigger opening. Create some space in your life that I could actually get in that place. Right? Like, you need some big doors. Let's just push those things out so you can, you know, get it. So God can get in there. He wants to get in there. He wants to be in your life. And I believe this 100%. If you will create space for God, God will fill it. He will fill it. He promises to fill it. But you sometimes just got to get a sledgehammer. Open up that hole so that God can get in there a little bit more. And you're saying to myself, well, that's all nice and great in the theory. No, 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 no. It's not theory. There are some steps you can take today, today, to start to open that hole, to make that door bigger, to expand your entrance. And if you'll expand your entrance, God will come in in a very powerful way. I'll just give you a couple. I'll just give you two. Number one. If you want that in your life, go out into our lobby. There's a little bitty uh, display, and on it, it says soap. You're like, what is the soap? Soap is a way that we teach people to study the Bible. And I'm telling you, if you want to get more of God, you've got to get more of his word in you. Go out there, grab the journal, grab the guide, and look at it and start to, to commit yourself to reading God's word. 
You could do that. If you don't know what that means, go back to January on our app or online and watch the four weeks that I talked about soap and the soap method to help you learn to study the Bible. You could do that, couldn't you? And that will expand your gate. That will open your gate. And then finally, here's the last one I'll give to you, uh, is Elevate. You may or may not know what Elevate is, but Elevate was created to help people take next steps. And I don't know where you are, and I've had people ask me this question, if I've been around Elevation for a long time, should I jump into Elevate? Yeah, you should. If you want to take a next step, because what's great about it is at the end of Elevate, you actually get a spiritual plan that helps you take your first next, you know, your, your next couple of steps. And I think it's brilliant. It'll totally help you. So take that step. Get involved. Get signed up. Go to it. Do something. Because, see, I think sometimes we think we're going to climb a mountain, but we're not going to do anything to do it. <laughs> Isn't that nonsensical? But that's what sometimes, like, we literally think sometimes that we're going to grow spiritually by osmosis. Look at me grow, everybody. I'm growing so much right now. You can't even see it. So many. All right, I'm almost done. So in the Bible, you see David. And David is lifted up as a man after God's own heart, isn't he? That's what it says. But see, David had some problems. David, had, he didn't have clean hands. David, David murdered man, men. He didn't have a pure heart. He lusted, committed adultery. He lifted up soul, uh, his soul to vanity and pride when he numbered the people, when God told him not to. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Solomon, wise guy, right? Everybody's wise. Yeah, he was super wise. But it's kind of interesting that he was so wise that he couldn't seem to figure out that idolatry was a bad thing. See what I'm talking about? King Hezekiah, he had problems. He dealt with a lot of pride. And here's the thing. The only king that's ever qualified to ascend the hill of the Lord, his name's Jesus. His name's Jesus Christ. It's a simple statement that has massive implications for each one of us. Because, see, we all can relate to those men that I just mentioned. We can all relate to them. Why? Because we, as human beings, struggle. We make mistakes. We do things we shouldn't. We sin. And God knew that. And so he did something about it. He sent Jesus into this world so that we wouldn't have to struggle that way so that we could be assured of our relationship with God, so that we could have the power and the strength to climb the mountain so that we could be in his presence, my friends. And that is what he wants you to hear today. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 is such, such a powerful verse, but listen to this. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and the ministers, and they minister before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. If you've ever read the Old Testament and you've seen all the animals get killed, there's a part of you who's like, why are we killing all these animals? Because they were trying to get right with God. And Hebrews tells us that they did it over and over and over again. But watch this. In verse 12, But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all times. My friends, that means that Jesus is our high priest and our sacrifice all at once, and it means that it is final. There is no sacrifice needed ever again. Powerful. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. I love that image. It's like God finished, like Jesus finished the deal. He sits down at the right hand of God, kicks his feet up, and is drinking a glass of tea. I like that. Finished. Done. My friends, that... that that should get you, because that means you don't have to work for it. That means that it's grace. That's grace. He says, there he was waiting until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. And then verse 14, he says, for by the one offering he forever made perfect. Gosh, that's so good. Those who are being made holy. You know what that word perfect is? 
That word perfect in the Greek is teleos. You know what teleos means? Complete or whole. Isn't that good? God, God wants to make you whole. He doesn't want to just forgive you of your sins. He wants to do that, but he wants to make you whole. Those areas of your life that you're broken, that you've compartmentalized, those places that you don't talk about, those things, God wants to deal with that stuff. He wants you to have freedom in this life, not just the next. He wants to perfect you in that way. And then listen to this in verse 18. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need, no need to offer any more sacrifices. Guys, that's the good news in a nutshell. One of the things that can happen when I preach a message like this is I talk about climbing that mountain, you know? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Pure heart, clean hands, doesn't speak, idolatry, you know, all that. And what can sometimes happen is the enemy will twist my words in, in, in people's lives and they'll start to think, so <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta get better before I start climbing. Does that make sense? And that can actually happen. But I want to be clear here, this is not a works righteousness. That's not what it is. I'd say what it is, is to get started climbing the hill, you got to get right with Jesus. And then once you get right with Jesus, climb on. Climb on. Because now you'll have what you need to make the climb. But you can't even start climbing without Him. And that's one thing you've got to understand, that this isn't a works righteousness, because see, I can because he did. I can because he did. And I'll end with this idea. When I was in college, I used to talk to an older pastor uh, who was in school with me, and uh, we would sometimes argue about theology and the Bible, you know, you know that kind of stuff. And, and one time we were talking about salvation and, and how do you get it and can you be assured of it? You know, I mean, all these kinds of important questions. And he said this statement that just stuck with me. He said, Daniel, there's a difference between sonship and fellowship. And I thought that was a really powerful idea. So for you and for me, there's a difference between sonship or daughtership and fellowship. Like these are important ideas. And you're thinking, well, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that my sonship comes from what Jesus has done on my behalf. Your daughtership comes from what Jesus has done for you. You are invited into the family of God because of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So your status before God, your standing in the house of God, being ushered into the family of God is directly related to the work, the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Does that make sense? And so you are a son of God or a daughter of God based on his work, not yours. That is not something that just goes away. Get that. What happens sometimes in our life, which I referenced earlier, is sometimes our fellowship wanes and we feel distance from God. Get this. And so fellowship is directly related to our proximity to God. And, and, and I just want to ask you this question today. And I know this is true. God did not move. And so what happens is we move and wonder where God went. You with me? And so the proximity really does matter to our fellowship. And our fellowship relates absolutely to our power and our ability to climb the mountain. And the point I'm trying to get at, guys, is that, that sometimes it's not an issue of whether I'm saved or not saved. Sometimes it's just a simple issue of fellowship. That I'm just not spending any time with God. That my gate, my entrance is not very big. And so I just want you to see that today and understand that distinction so that you might be able to climb the mountain that God has put before you, that you might be able to ascend to the hill of the Lord and be in his presence. We pray with me. God, we all need you, even if we don't know it. But we recognize that if we're going to ascend, we need your help. And so right now, for some of you in the room, your fellowship with God has really suffered. 
Maybe over the last few months, maybe it's been a while, I don't know. And you're wondering where God is, and, and I just want to tell you, He's right here. He's right here. And I think all it takes is you just saying, man, I need that. I need that in my life. I want that back. And I, I need to get my proximity right. And so right now, I just want to ask you, if that's you, I want to pray for you to help you. And so just say this prayer with me in your heart. Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would help anybody in this room that maybe their fellowship has become a distant thing. Maybe their proximity and their closeness to you has actually waned. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just begin to work in that area. Just tell the Lord you're sorry. Just say, I, I, God, will you forgive me? I need more of you in my life. Will you help me? Because I know I can't climb this hill without you. And just tell them that. And God, I ask that you would seal this prayer in their hearts. And that it would begin to, they would begin to move towards soap. Or maybe they'd move towards elevator. Maybe they'd move towards a, gro a group or something. Or whatever it is, Lord, that they just begin to step towards you as they ascend the hill. But I also want to ask those in the room that maybe that you just haven't settled your sonship or your daughtership. You, you just haven't done that. Well, the Bible says that if you're willing to open yourself up to that possibility, if you're willing to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus did these things for you, he'll come in and save you. And so today's your day. I'd love to invite you into the family of God if you're interested. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to offer you that. I want to give you a chance to respond to the gospel today if you'd like to. And how I'm going to do that is as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you in a moment, as I count to three, if you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hand so that I can say a prayer with you. I'm not going to point you out or have you come down front or anything like that. I just want to be able to see your hand as a statement of faith so that I might be able to pray with you at this time. And so on the count of three, would you mind just simply shooting your hand up and be bold about it because it's an important decision. On the count of three, one, two, three. Go ahead. God bless you. Good, good. God bless you. Good job. Good, good, good. Okay. You can put your hands down. Church, we're all going to pray together here. Nobody's praying alone. And I'd love for you, if you raised your hand and church in general, let's just come alongside and pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I need you. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you be Lord of my life? I surrender to you today. Transform me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that made decisions today? It's so good.